know, well, I actually had this slide partly because it reminds me a little bit of Keswick, actually. I don't think we have mountains that high, though. They can feel like it when you walk up them. But it also reminds me of a psalm that I wanted to begin with because I hope that this morning will be a time of hope and refreshment for us. And this psalm, in a way, just reorientates us, provides the foundations from which we want to be able to think through how we love children with additional needs. Uh, Psalm 121, I'm going to read it out to you. And as I read it, I'd love you to just take note of how many times the psalm says that the Lord watches over us. So Psalm 21, it says this, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Um, I wanted to start off with that psalm, partly because parenting children with additional needs, it's so easy for us to just get lost in the day-to-day activities of our lives that can be really quite hard enough. And I'm hoping that this seminar will lift our eyes to the mountains, to the maker of heaven and earth, that we can find our hope in him in the midst of those daily struggles. And I thought I would start just with my own story. Why am I standing here talking about parenting additional needs? Well, it does go back quite a long way. I think for over probably most of my adult life, I've been working with children and families. And it began really when I was 19. And I was working in an early intervention mental health center for children who were four to six years of age, so very young. And their parents were either um, in prison or drug addicts. And I think it was there that I had only really just become a Christian, actually. And I think the Lord laid on my heart very early on a real desire for some of the most vulnerable in our communities. And so I went on then to actually train in epidemiology as a public health, um, working with families and children, very young children. And then over the years have trained as a biblical counselor in child and adolescent mental health and more recently in family therapy. So those opportunities have meant that I've been able to counsel young children and um, young people, teens. Um, And it's also meant that I've been able to work in my local CAMS uh, clinic in family therapy. Um, And I think it's those opportunities that have helped me see something of not just the pressures, but the joys of loving children when there are additional needs. But it's not just a professional journey for me. It's also personal. So you met my husband. Um, That's Matthew, who introduced us. We have five children, and two of our children have additional needs. And the youngest um, is on an education health care plan. But it does mean that he can access mainstream education with extra support and help. And I think while my story is going to be very different to yours, There is a diversity of needs, isn't there? And a great spectrum of demands that are placed on our lives. I do know that 
we have all likely experienced the suffering and the challenges of our children. I know that we probably have been overwhelmed and stretched to the very edge of our capacity, if not beyond. I know that we probably have cried buckets of tears, that we have felt deep pain and sorrow, that we have probably felt very angry at times, and also frustrated um, by the lack of resources around us. We have probably at times felt helpless, felt hopeless, maybe even lost, not knowing who to turn to or where to go. But at the same time, we have probably had those moments, you know, those truly glorious moments, you know, like after a rain shower and the sun comes out and you see a beautiful rainbow, or that feeling of plowing through a jungle for days and days, weeks and weeks and months and months, and you reach a vista point with the most breathtaking view. And I don't know where you are at the moment, probably a mixture of those things, but I know that you felt these because you're human, just like me. And we feel these emotions all the time. And regardless of where you are, I hope that this week, indeed this very morning, that we would be able to have a place to reorientate ourselves. I always find we get to the end of the school year as a family absolutely exhausted. You know, we're dragging our feet. Everything that we put in place at the beginning of the year has probably fizzled out a little bit. We're feeling frazzled. We're getting on each other's nerves. And it's very hard to enter the summer holidays like that as a family. But I have always found that Keswick is almost like a reset button for us, a place to find hope and joy, even if life has been so grueling for us, to lift our eyes to the mountains. And that's what I hope for this morning. So I'm really only going to be looking at three things that might help us do this. Oh, I'll go back to that, if that comes up. I want to first start off, and we touched on this a little bit yesterday morning in the family service, that our children are a gift of infinite value. What does that mean for us in our families and also in our churches? That additional needs is a place where God is at work, And I hope, too, that we will have some space to find hope in our failures, because there will be some, if not many, and freedom to grieve in that as well. So let's start off by looking at a gift of infinite value. While our children may be different, they may have differences that are either hidden that nobody else can see but we know, or it may be that their differences are very obvious. Scripture actually makes it very clear to us that they are not less than anyone else. That actually, if we go straight back to Genesis 1 to 27, and we've already heard it this week, can't we? It's about being human, that we are made in the image of God. Uh, male and female, he makes us. And not only does that give us great dignity and value that we are image bearers in this world, but I think there's another special truth in this, that actually right at the beginning in his creation, God has created at the very fundamental level difference, male and female. That difference and diversity is very much a part of how we reflect our Heavenly Father, our God, the triune God. And so there is that dignity and value 
But there is also an awesome responsibility that comes with that, that we are called to reflect his glory in this world. We are image bearers. And in a way, there is no higher form of dignity. There is no greater calling. And I think what this means that as God creates us, he crafts and creates our bodies carefully. And again, we talked a little bit about that yesterday morning in the family service. Uh, They looked at Psalm 139, and it's a wonderful psalm, isn't it? Because it tells us that God has created our inner and our outer parts, our inner, our minds, our hearts, the brain, our bodies, everything he has created and he has carefully crafted. Now, that's not to say that our bodies are perfect, but they are the bodies that God has intended us to have, even when everything about them is not wonderful. In fact, I would challenge anyone in this room to say that they have a perfect body or mind. It's, it's just not the reality, is it? But we have the bodies and minds that God intends us to have. And that's not accidental, nor is it incidental or peripheral to the understanding of who we are as image bearers in this world. So I think for believers, as we think about additional needs, um, we want to be able to work from a biblical understanding that, and recognize that our bodies have been, or are valuable, and are God's unique, purposeful creation for us. He has designed us as his embodied image bearers. And that means that he cares very much about our physical conditions, and he cares about our minds too. Uh, Not only does he care so much about that, but he chooses to dwell in our bodies by his Holy Spirit. And he comprehensively redeems us bodily and our minds. So we do have that hope of redemption of our bodies when we will be transformed into Christ's glorious body, like Christ's glorious body. And I think there's a bit of a mystery here, because when I think about Christ's resurrected body, he still bears the scars of his earthly life, but they are truly glorious. And I was talking about this with my son the other day, and he said something that was really helpful, at least to me. He said, I wonder if that's because it is Jesus's scars that demonstrate most his glory, and they are truly beautiful. And that in this earth, the scars, the suffering that we or our children may endure will be so perfectly and comprehensively redeemed that they will be truly glorious in the new heavens and the new earth. And I don't know what that's going to look like, but I know that there is a truth there to hold on to. And so we have infinite value and worth. Our children have infinite value and worth. And God cares about our minds and our bodies. And as ones of infinite value and worth, he places us in a community of believers. Actually, where diversity is valued, and that comes back to that very Genesis 1.27. But I want to argue that church is actually a place for our children with additional needs. They are actually an essential part of the body of Christ. That difference and that diversity is emphasized throughout Scripture. Whenever you go to the body of Christ passages, whether that's 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans 12 or Ephesians 4, God consistently tells us that he puts the parts of the body together 
and that they are diverse and different. And it's the differences that enable us to grow in unity in Christ, that every part is essential, is valued, and that everybody will bring their different gifts and needs, their different abilities and capacities and incapacities, their different interests, their different perspectives, their different backgrounds, their different horizons. Yet we are to be increasingly unified because of these differences that enable us to function better as the body of Christ because of them. And though it is painful for our children and for us when that belonging is not felt or experienced as fully as it should, there is something in which we can take heart that it's already a done deal. If they are Christ, they belong already to their head and to the community. Now, maybe your child isn't a believer, but they are still made in the image of God, and they still have been designed to be amongst his people. It could be also that maybe your children or your child is suffering so deeply with maybe depression or anxiety that they can't even get to church for whatever reason. But there is still a place for perhaps church to come to them, a one friend Uh, a children's minister, a youth worker, somebody who would come to get alongside and pray with your child to know that even though they can't physically be with the body of Christ, that they are still valued members of the body of Christ. I have a few friends, actually, whose children have been sectioned in psychiatric units. And the amount of times I hear how precious it is when people from the body of Christ visit them in the psychiatric unit... And it's not just precious for the child to know that they are valued and loved and are still a member of that community. Um, It's also precious for the one who's visiting because they too learn what it means to suffer. They learn what it means to love in some of the hardest of places. That this is something where actually our children are gifts and valued and have something to teach us, even in their own suffering and hardship. The other beautiful truth, I think, from the body of Christ, especially in 1 Corinthians 12, is it says that God has placed the parts together and those, and he gives greater honor to those who lack it, that in fact they are indispensable. So we want to be asking in the context of our local church community, and remember that our child, no matter how great their needs are, is a gift to the body of Christ. And that actually, one that God has already declared as having greater honor. Do we ever think, what is it that our child will bring to the body of Christ that is actually needed in order for the church to flourish? Because they will. Now, the hard thing and the sad thing is that all that is true. But in my experience, and actually the experience of many friends that I have, is that additional needs more often brings a sense of isolation and abandonment. It can feel so lonely when people don't understand. And additional needs can actually make everything harder, including and especially sometimes connecting with other people. There are a number of challenges, aren't there? And perhaps I can just name a few for us if it comes up. One of them actually is the fear of judgment and the reality of judgment. There are going to be people who are simply 
unkind and maybe just unintentionally and I, I know for myself I can be thoughtless and unkind too it it happens and sometimes these are the places where we can speak up maybe it's a place where we can educate we can have places in our church where we can talk more about additional needs and the pressures and challenges of mental health or neurodevelopmental disorders or whatever it is that those additional needs bring maybe it is a time too to expose people's biases But there are also times when actually the situation, the moment just doesn't allow for a response. Where are we to find the strength to respond kindly, either by respectfully challenging or maybe by simply walking away? But most importantly is how can we not let these moments push us away from the body of Christ into further isolation? I remember, and it is still an ongoing struggle for me, just how hard it is to let people into our lives, or even just having people at home. Um, And I know for me it was probably, actually it probably was just me, who was the most embarrassed at times, you know, when my child was under the table and tickling people's toes or just holding onto them. And we would always say to one of them, you know, it's not a hug until you let go, because he just wouldn't let go of anybody who would come. And there were times when actually it could be so horrible that I just wanted to, uh, well, I dreaded actually people coming around, to be honest. And yet at the same time, I wanted to be able to trust God because as a family, we needed to allow people into our lives. We needed to allow people to see the challenges and to allow people to love us in those challenges, to bless us in those challenges. And I think sometimes when people came around, they actually saw the really best of us. And I just think that was a miracle, really. But sometimes people come around and they saw the absolute worst of us. And, you know, it was awkward. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to respond. But they were there. And I wanted to sink in the floorboards. And sometimes I didn't even feel like I could face people because of what had happened. And, but allowing people to come in has been much more of a blessing than anything else. I think it helped me to think that whatever people saw as they come into our home, we needed them to see, and they needed to see. Um, For my own growth, for our own growth, but also for their walk with the Lord Jesus. And I don't know what God might be doing in them or us in those moments that were truly awful. But I do know that he was doing something good because he always promises to do something good. And we all needed that situation for us to grow, for them to grow. And I think that just helped me take a different perspective, that I could leave something of that in the Lord's hands. And I wouldn't say that it's still not a challenge. It is. But letting people in and widening widening our support network is so much more of a blessing to us. Um, Feelings of shame still bubble up, and they will bubble up in all of us, in our children as well. It's really hard as a parent for us to kind of publicly um, manage something that we feel we can't manage. Maybe it's our children's emotional dysregulation, or maybe it is just transitions in public that are so hard for them. And that, on top of our own perhaps unrealistic expectations for our children, really is a recipe for shame. And shame will eat us up. It really is insidious. It's destructive, soul-destroying, joy-sapping stuff. 
Guilt is a little different. You know, there are times when we do say and do things in the moment that aren't helpful, that are perhaps unkind, and there's a place for us to recognize we've done something wrong and to seek forgiveness. But shame says that we are wrong or that our children are wrong. And that's so much harder because you can't make amends without first destroying yourself because everything about you is wrong. And, and that might be something of where our children can also struggle when there is self-hatred that is so linked to shame. And so it is insidious. It's something that we want to be able to work against. The cloak of shame comes on us and goes quite deep. But the most beautiful thing is that the Lord Jesus gives us his robes of righteousness, his glorious robes. He declares to us and our children that we are his children. He delights in us. We are his beloved. He loves us deeply. He sings over us with rejoicing. You know, the gospel of Christ at the cross isn't simply about forgiveness, though that is precious. He also covers over our shame with his glorious robes. And all that is to say that it takes profound courage and determination to widen our circle of support and to allow people in to love us. But he has already gone before us in this too. Jesus knows what it's like to be humiliated. He knows what it's like to be mocked. He was betrayed by his closest friends and even those who could see his predicament but failed to act on his behalf. He has probably experienced active and passive injustice in ways that we couldn't even comprehend. Furthermore, he is committed to being that just judge, to seeing righteousness and justice reign in our homes and in our churches. And he was willing to experience that injustice himself to the point of death so that we could have salvation and perfect justice that isn't fully experienced yet, but is in part and will be fully when he returns. We want to take heart that Jesus knows our sufferings even more than perhaps we do, and he is more committed to justice even more than perhaps we are. And the second barrier, I guess, is also linked to the first, that we are often misunderstood or our children are misunderstood. And, you know, as parents, we are often confused and, and misunderstand our children as well. And it is hard when people don't get it. You know, we are desperate sometimes, aren't we, that people would know the difference between a sensory meltdown and a spoiled child's temper tantrum. Um, but often there just isn't a way of understanding that difference if people haven't known what it's like. If you have walked with additional needs for a long time, then we're probably aching that others would know something of the relentlessness of it and how hard it is. Our parents deeply desire that other people would understand that true belonging and acceptance is so essential to our child's well-being, and not just their well-being, but their relationship with the Lord. But again, we can take heart. We know that being misunderstood is such a lonely experience, but again, Jesus fully empathizes with us in this predicament. He walked with his disciples for many years who did not understand fully who he was and what he had come to do. And actually, you know, Peter even impeded or sought to impede Jesus' path. 
He does uniquely understand what it means and how it feels to be misunderstood. But what about us as parents? I think, well, I can certainly say this for myself, that there is such a risk that we pour so much of our energies into caring for our children and our families that our own needs go unmet, unnoticed, or ignored. And actually, when this happens, it is the dangerous potential for us to foster, I guess, resentment in our lives. And that then just breeds further isolation and pushes us further away. And when our needs are being unmet by the body of Christ, whether that is relational needs of finding those places of belonging and care and love and acceptance, then there is no other antidote other than actually speaking the truth in love. And I know that's so hard and it takes a lot of courage and we need to do it with that Christ-like kindness But I wonder if it's helpful to recognize that when we do speak the truth in love, that actually it is likely that the whole church is going to grow and be blessed by that. Because when we are able to speak up when our needs aren't being met, the whole church begins to learn what it means to love you, your family, and children with additional needs. And the whole church will be blessed by that. So I'm, I've been talking for a long time, so I thought if we could just have a little bit of a break to talk with each other, um, just a one question, maybe just if you've come with somebody, um, have a little bit of a conversation for a few minutes about what ways do you see your child with additional needs or maybe a child that you know with additional needs as a person with significant value and agency. So just spend a few minutes talking with the person that you came with or someone who's sitting next to you. Um, thinking about how we see our children as people with significant value and agency in our homes and in our churches. Okay, I'll just put you back together again. Um, I hope that some of those conversations were an encouragement to you. Um, I, it's, it's good to be able to have that time to share each other's stories as well uh, in this context. I want to talk about the second place where God is at work in additional needs. And again, this was touched on yesterday a little bit, but one of the passages that has been a real comfort for me over the years has been John chapter one verse, uh, sorry, chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. And I'll just read that out to you. It says, As he went along, this is Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. And Jesus replies, Neither this man nor his parents have sinned, that this has happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, I think this passage is beautiful because it really helps us to see that this man's blindness was actually a place where God was at work. So often, I know as a mother, it's easy for us to go down the blame route. How many times have I blamed myself um, for my children's additional needs? Or maybe Paul Matthew (laughs) blamed him or his family. You know, people tell me these things are genetic sometimes, and I start looking at all the other family members. And, (laughs) you know, it's a dead-end route. um, Because Jesus says, this happened so that my glory might be displayed in him. 
Now, I think this is a beautiful truth because instead of, it's so easy for us to always focus on everything that is hard. But do we have space to intentionally look for where God is working in our children's lives and to tell them that he is working in them? Now, I do want to make one caveat in terms of the blame and taking responsibility because I know the very sad reality that some injuries have been caused because of somebody's sin, because of abuse, whether it be physical, emotional, uh, verbal, maybe because of a drunk driver. So there clearly is a place where injury is caused because of someone's sin. But that doesn't stop the place where God is still at work in that child and that we can intentionally look for the places where he is working. And it may be, unlike this man whose sight was restored by Jesus, that for us, you know, our children will not have their additional needs removed. Maybe there is ongoing challenges and real challenges, but God's grace is still present and still flows. When we can help a child see that God is at work in them, it may be that they're not removing our child's blindness, if you like, but God is removing our blindness that we actually can see more clearly the work of God in the life of another person, especially our children. And holding on to the reality that God is at work in our children does prevent us a little bit from the if-onlys. Now, I don't know how many times I have said that, if only this, if only that. If only people would follow my son's EHCP plan. If only the occupational therapist or the speech and language therapist will come through. If only we had a place at that school. If only people would be more patient. I think this passage does help us. And also that psalm, it shows us, the Psalm 121, that God gives us this wonderful picture that he is somebody who watches over us and he is our provider and he does protect us from the forces that might at times feel against us. And he's not only just watching, he is protecting us from us from those things. That our saviour is actually everything we need. He watches over us, he protects us, he delivers us and our children. And when we find ourselves in angst over the things that we really just cannot control, we can grasp on to the one who is powerful. He is the protector and provider. In the midst, he does promise to provide all that we need and all that our children need. And here's the thing, because it is so natural for us to want to control the outcomes of our children's life. And it's certainly right and not wrong to take responsibility for caring for our children and ensuring that their needs are protected. But the outcomes are in the Lord's hands, not our hands. And he is the one who is working for their good and their glory. When we leave the outcomes in his hands, it's leaving him space to work where we can see his work in the lives of our children. And one other reflection on that is that he has already gone ahead of us in these things. He has already put in place the things we need even before we are aware of our needs 
of them. And so no matter how challenging the things are that we are facing today, he's already gone ahead. He's already promised to provide. And can we trust him to do that? Um, I'm going to give you just another couple of minutes actually to discuss this because I think it's helpful for us to see that maybe there are some places in our children's lives where he has um, gone ahead of them. So as you look back on your own child's life or those in church that you might have seen grow up, in what ways can you see that God was present, perhaps even before you knew the challenges that you would face? So just spend a couple of minutes having a little chat again with one another about those times. Okay, thank you. I know that's just such a short time to um, share something of your own experiences in that. And I hope that you will follow up on those conversations afterwards. In the handouts which are online, there are other questions that maybe, you know, if you're linking up and you're here with your friends to talk about and pray about with each other. But I want to end on a moment of hope. Um, There really does need to be space for us to find hope in what is so hard, but especially in the fact that we do fail and to have the freedom to grieve in this. You know, I can imagine for many of us, the actually very prospect of even aiming for perfection is laughable. That actually it's just simply impossible getting through the day, let alone trying to get everything right all the time. But I want to say that actually messing up making mistakes is actually an important part of our journey. And then when we can recognize that we are going to mess up and make mistakes, that that is so much better and more helpful than thinking that we can never make mistakes because we will soon be overwhelmed. And actually, when we are overwhelmed, it's really hard to love our children well. When we feel that we have to be the best parent, the best advocate, the most compassionate and empathic carer, we can end up falling into the trap of setting ourselves such unrealistic expectations and standards, you know, that we have to be the perfect parent to our children all the time. And when we realize that we're not, because actually we're not, we will give ourselves such a hard time. And we we do, don't we? And that is where the guilt, the wrong kind of guilt, and the wrong kind of shame actually seeps in. When we feel that we're never going to be good enough and that we are consistently failing. And I just want to highlight two areas that I think might be areas that we struggle with imperfection. Areas where we really wish that we didn't fail because we place such a high standard on these things. And the first one is when we fail relationally with our children. We know that God has designed us to be in relationship with one another. Relationships are so important to us. And loving our children well and and being uh, able to relate well with them is so important. We want our children to feel that they have been loved and heard and understood and valued. But the thing is, we're going to fail in this at times. There are going to be times when they don't feel heard and they don't feel understood by us because we haven't understood and we have failed. But this is the place for our children and for us to experience forgiveness and restoration of a relationship. And our children need to know that they can survive a rupture in a relationship, that repair can be done, that there is forgiveness, and that there is reconciliation. 
You know, as parents, there are going to be times when we fail morally. I think we are sinful and we are going to sin. We're going to say things that are going to be hurtful. We, we actually just can't get away from that. You know, yes, we are growing in Christ-likeness and we know that we are going to be like Christ when he returns again. But we will continue to sin until the day we die. Um, the other thing is that we are going to fail practically simply because we are finite. We are human. We cannot be everywhere at the same time. We are not God. We cannot know everything that we really wanted to know at the time when we needed to know it because we are not God. We will be pressed and we will be pushed beyond the kind of things that we can actually do because we are human. All of us in this room will fail morally and practically. And acknowledging and accepting that right at the beginning actually opens up the floodgates to grace, where we come to know more fully the grace of our Lord Jesus. That actually, knowing that we will never be enough for our children, no one person can be enough for everything that another person needs. When our eyes are fixed on Jesus, he will be enough. He will be enough for us, and he will be enough for our children. And we have the opportunity to embody the gospel of forgiveness in those times when we haven't been enough, or when we have failed morally and hurt others. We can look to Jesus and find his perfect sinless record, those robes of righteousness in place of our failure. And not only that, but his compassionate understanding of our human limits. Now, as we receive his grace in our failures, as we receive his compassion in our finitude, then we know what it's like to feel that, and we can give that to our children. As we model that grace and forgiveness, our children will see that too. And they will long for the same means of grace just like we do. They will need forgiveness and restoration in their relationships, just like we do. They will need discipleship and participation in the body of Christ, just like we do. And I think for us as parents, especially when we're parenting children with additional needs, <clears throat> sorry, we often move towards our children in understanding, which is absolutely right. We, we probably have been told so many times that our children's behavior is communicating something to us, and maybe just not in the most helpful or easiest way for us to understand, but it is actually communicating something. And we know that a role as a parent is to actually try and understand what they're trying to communicate for us. What is it that was so hard? But when our children, when they're communicating something, hit out at others and hurt others or are hurting themselves, we do need to move towards them in compassion and understanding. But we also need to help them understand that that's not okay. That when in their meltdowns, we want to be able to say, it's so hard and I understand why you're feeling the way you are, but it's not okay to hurt others. It's not okay to hurt yourself. And in the not okay to hurt others, they can have the opportunity to make amends. When we have already modeled to them in our own failures how we make amends and seek forgiveness, our children can follow in those steps as well. 
It's not okay for them to hurt others and to hurt themselves. And these conversations are done not in the context of shame. We know that we stand and our children stand as people who are already loved and forgiven. And we love our children in these things. But there is something of a constructive guilt, perhaps, when they know that they've hurt others, they can make amends. And when they are hurting themselves, how can we encourage them to do something else instead of hurting themselves when they're feeling so overwhelmed that they don't know what else to do but to direct that at themselves? And let's help our children as we move towards them in forgiveness and restoration to move towards others when they have actually hurt others. Um, And let's do that with empathy, with understanding, with compassion, as Christ has shown compassion to us in our own limits. So that's one thing that I think we can really struggle with. The second thing we can struggle with in perfection is when we fail as advocates for our children, when we fail to provide for their needs in in what we really had longed for or hoped to provide for them. How might remembering that Jesus is our perfect advocate on our behalf enable us to serve as imperfect advocates for our children? We do have a lot to learn from Jesus in the way that he advocates. It's always fueled by love. It's always sacrificial. He never gives up. But we are not Christ. And maybe we can see advocacy less as a command and more as a, um, I guess, a calling or a part of our calling to advocate for our children. But because we are not God, we cannot change the minds of other people often let alone changing their own hearts. But we know that Christ, who advocates, can do both. And that is actually his desire. He is designed to advocate for justice and to provide for our children. We care for our children, and we care that they get the needs met, that they ought to have met in this world. But often that doesn't happen. But God cares more for them. And he continues to provide for them. Now, I want to end on giving ourselves a space to grieve. I often feel as a parent that, well, I guess the challenges of feeling that if I am fully accepting my children for who they are and loving them for who they are, I can sometimes think that that's incompatible with grieving over the losses and maybe the dashed hopes that I did have for my children or grieving over the fears that I have. Maybe we just don't want people to feel that actually if we are grieving uh, and feeling sad about the losses that we experience with our children, maybe people might feel that we don't love them. But that's just simply not true. And if we push those feelings of sadness and grief down so that others don't see it, maybe even hide them from ourselves, then we don't give ourselves the space to process those heartaches, because they are real heartaches. There are real times to weep. It's really hard, and it's really sad, and Jesus wept freely. Our tears do not blur our vision. They sharpen us. They bring us to our Heavenly Father, where we can wholeheartedly, with all our raw emotions, come to him 
And Jesus can breathe life into even the deepest of our sorrows and our losses. There really is a place for lamenting. Scripture tells us we can lament. And that is not incompatible with loving our children and accepting them for who they are. Families with additional needs often are more vulnerable to the extremes of the ups and the downs than other families are because there are just roller coaster moments that often involve unpredictable behaviors, you know, things that you just didn't anticipate a child could do, and they do. There's unanticipated crisis. There's a dizzying array of demands that can leave us at times just absolutely paralyzed. There are times when our hopes will be dashed because we can desire so many good things for our children. Maybe it is desiring a cure for their underlying condition. Maybe we're desiring the good thing of effective therapy. Maybe we're desiring just more funding would be helpful or access to respite care or a better school placement. Maybe even just a reliable driver would be good or a surgical procedure. It could go on and on. And while these are all really good things that can make a significant impact to our children's lives, when these desires become the very things that we place our hopes on, we are set up for disappointment. Because the world does offer a whole array of false hopes that often don't deliver and can leave us disappointed. Yet God promises this. He promises that, behold, I am making all things new. And this promise is trustworthy and true. We have the one who will never let us down. He is an everlasting hope, and underneath are his everlasting arms. He promises that every single one of our tears will be wiped away, that there will be no mourning or crying, no pain, because the former things will have passed away. And God will redeem every heartache that we as parents have endured as well. We have all had those seasons of crying, of pain, of sorrow. And maybe that is your agonizing reality right now. Yet God is already with us. And in a fuller sense than we can ever imagine and have yet experienced, he will dwell with us forever in all of his beauty. And the most beautiful truth that I hold on to is that our children will be completely and perfectly themselves in ways that we would ever have dared or imagined for them. And we, alongside them, will abide with the living God who has made all things new. His love is that grand prize. And until that day, God does provide providentially. We go back to that Psalm 121 where he protects us and it ends this way, that the Lord will keep you. He will keep me. He will keep our children, our coming in and our going out from this time forth, now and forevermore. Amen. 
Now, I think we just have a few minutes if there are just a few questions off the back of that. But if not, um, we can pray. And I'm going to hang around for a little bit longer if people want to come up and talk and pray to you as well. But Matthew has the roaming mic if anybody has a burning question to ask. That's fine. I think we'll leave it. And, I, and it's wonderful that we can now just pray for one another. Um, and as I said, I will be here if people want to come up and talk and pray afterwards as well. Matthew, do you want to actually pray for us as we end? Is that... Thanks. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that your purposes do run in the Lord Jesus in ways that are broad, wide, long, and deep. Thank you that these things we've spoken of are not yet finished. Thank you for families, for homes, for churches, where people are pressing on with hope. Hope in the Lord Jesus. Please, where that hope has worn thin, we ask that you would strengthen it and build it. Please, as we go from here, as we stay here and talk further and, and discuss these matters more, please may we sense, as those disciples did on the road to Emmaus, the Lord Jesus drawing near to us and encouraging us, coming alongside us where times are hard, where we would grieve. Please may we find there space to grow, space to be grounded, space to be caught up in your purposes. And please may our churches be those spaces for many. So we commit ourselves with thanks and praise to you to this path that we walk. In Jesus' name, amen.